Welcome to season two of Do Better Research, a learning-focused podcast about research methods. I'm Dr. Suzanne Albury, and I'll be speaking to a range of guests to help guide you through different research methods to become a better researcher, both for academic study and professional practice. In this episode, I talked to Dr. Will Thomas of the Suffolk Business School about his reflections on contract research, which formed the basis of his collaborative project with Dr. Miriam Southwell, entitled Hate the Results, Blame the Methods, an Autoethnography of Contract Research. Autoethnography is a well-established, if underutilised, methodology to help researchers make sense of their own experiences. It is an ethnography of the self, and if done well, can offer researchers and readers a unique chance to learn from individual experiences. So this week we are going to be uh, introduced to a research project by our very own Dr. Will Thomas. So Will, thank you for uh, presenting your research for us. Uh, Absolute pleasure. And can you just give us an overview about what the the project is? Sure. So... um... Uh, this project is a little bit different, I think, and uh, what we're going to talk about is a piece of work which reflects on the experiences that I had with a colleague working on another research project. So it's all a bit like the film Inception. The original piece of work, which is not really the one we're talking about, but the original piece of work was commissioned by a um, a regional group that included people like the county council, the borough councils, business groups of various um, types, whose interest was how we support businesses and how we help them grow. And this was back in 2007, 2008, so um, quite a long time ago. So we were commissioned to do this work, to go out and interview businesses and to speak to them about um, their thoughts, some of the barriers to growth and so on. Uh, We finished doing that work, we wrote a report and the report didn't go down very well at all. So it's all a bit embarrassing and we spent an awful lot of time kind of licking our wounds and reflecting on that and thinking about what had gone wrong. And the opportunity came up several years later to present a paper at a conference that was happening at the university around a type of research called ethnography. And in particular, what we're talking about here is an autoethnography. So we'll get into that a little bit more, but essentially what we're doing is reflecting on that experience to try and draw some wider conclusions, partly to make things better for ourselves in the future. So what can we do to improve next time? but also for people that are reading the work to think about what they might learn from our experience so they don't have to go through the trials and tribulations that we did. So it's really interesting that the piece of work came about from some self-reflection and we talk to students a lot about reflecting on their experiences and some of their assignments involve some self-reflection but we never really think about that as academic research though. No, that's right. And, and you know, it's fair to say um, there are critics of this approach who say, well, really, all you're doing is telling a story. You know, this is just an anecdote and it doesn't really have anything to offer. But actually, I think when conducted carefully and um, properly, reflection is incredibly important and a really valuable way to learn about um, your own practice and your own um 
activity, but also to help other people learn too. And um, that's really the distinction here. And so we are reflecting on our own experiences. There's a lot of storytelling, if you like, in the chapter, um, a lot of us recounting what happened and um, how it felt to us. But really importantly, connecting that to other people's work, to, to wider and, and broader discussions about um, politics and power and social meaning so that we're tapping into this um, kind of broader academic discussion as part of the work. So um, we've got our own account of the experience, but we've also got the related literature, which is helping us to analyse that and um, to take it beyond just telling a story. So when we think about a sort of a traditional piece of academic research, we think about um, aims and objectives, we think about data collection and analysis. So what were the kind of the aims of this particular paper? Right, well the the aim really was um, firstly to help us understand our own experience. So why had we gone through the experience um, that we'd gone through? How can we improve for the future? And then slightly less selfishly, how do we help other people improve their practice of what's called contract research? So this is where um, an organisation comes to you and says, we've got this question, we'd like someone to come and help us answer it, and we'll pay you to do that. So we have a contract to deliver a research project of um, you know, one form or another, and um, how do we do that better? And that was the crucial thing for us. And, and one of the early sections of the chapter is called positioning. And this is where we think about what our relationship with the study um, was. And one thing we were really clear about is we were at the time, and obviously, you know, some years have passed, so we are more experienced now, but we were experienced researchers. We had several years of doing this under our belt. We both had PhDs. We both knew what we were doing. We, we knew how to interview people. We knew how to put a research project together. And um, so our uncertainty and our reflection on what happened is not so much did we get the project wrong as how did this get out of control and how did the management of the project fall apart in such a way as we got into this um, situation. So that helps to kind of shape the focus of our reflection, not so much on questions like did we use the right method or was there something wrong with our analysis? Uh, and more towards questions like, why did the relationship with this commissioning group break down? What could we have done better in order to make sure that it um, uh, might work better in the future? So it's um, about the interaction between what we're trying to do, what we assumed to be the case, and um, the actions that we had taken, which very clearly had gone wrong. And, and one of the things that I think attracts colleagues to this paper is that you don't hear about mistakes and you don't hear about um, things going wrong very often. Academics are very keen on telling you how wonderful they are and to keep the impression <laughs> that nothing ever goes wrong and nothing's ever difficult. And that, I think, is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this project with our students is it might not appear this way, but I don't want students to put us on a pedestal. I don't want anybody to think we never make mistakes, that nothing ever goes wrong for us. And so 
I'm keen to share this, uh, an example of a project that did go wrong pretty badly um, with students so they can see that, you know, we are human and we have precisely the same challenges that they do. We just have the benefit of a little bit more experience. It's a really interesting point, isn't it, that, that research projects for everybody, for anybody, can go wrong and it's about learning from that experience to some extent and I, I I really liked what you said that it wasn't about understanding what went wrong in terms of the processes so the what went wrong what bits went wrong but the why question and that's really important for self-reflection isn't it it's not about the description of of the what it's always come always comes back to the why yeah and I think um had we focused our attention on on the method um, for example, then our learning would have been much more limited. Um, I think, it, you know, by focusing on why this went wrong, it enables us to have a much broader conversation, which applies to other projects and helps other researchers think about, you know, how they can learn from our experience. Not that, you know, if we'd focused on how we'd screwed up the interviews, you know, the only learning for other people would be you know, don't interview like this. Or, <laughs> don't don't screw up the interviews. <laughs> yeah, or, or maybe, you, you know, you'd be tempted to think, well, actually, I have nothing to learn from this because I'm a much better interviewer than these two people, Will and Miriam, which <laughs> which may still be true. But, you know, the, the slightly broader questions, I, I hope, offer more learning for people and um, and just make it slightly more interesting. So we, we tend to think about um, how how the data was collected and how we go about collecting data but this is a very different type of data collection isn't it for this project yeah it is and so it's important to remember what this project is so this project is the um, auto ethnographic analysis of uh, a piece of work that that we had done back in summer 2008 and so the data for this is the reflections of um, the two researchers so that was me and colleague of mine, Dr. Miriam Southwell, um, who was working at the university at the time of the project, but not at the time of writing this um, this chapter. Um, so it was our reflections on what had happened. And also in the chapter, you'll see we've drawn on things like um, some emails that were sent to to kind of ensure that we're remembering more or less correctly. And um, that it's not our memory that is faulty. So that's part of it. But in order to make this autoethnographic, rather than just simply Will and Miriam telling a story, we also um, had to do some work with the literature and, and thinking about other people's studies and other people's work around the processes of contract research in particular and in around the politics of doing research and in doing research with groups of this type, including at um, sort of local government level. So in bringing together this, our reflections and our notes and, and materials with the literature, that constituted the data for this study. And um, in pulling those two together, what we were trying to do is to draw out some themes. So what you see as you go through the chapter is, you know, there's this section on what happened. So what was this project and what was our experience, which culminated in this terrible meeting, which I can still remember, with a <laughs> big table, a massive table. And, and in my mind, it's it's like um, a tennis court sized table with people all around it. I mean, in reality, it wasn't quite that big. 
But it was a meeting of about 30 people and uh, a woman in the far corner, um, very senior, um, who at the end of our presentation told us that um, what we had said wasn't true and essentially rejected a load of the findings. One of the reasons for this was that we had failed to provide support for some of the policies that the council had already started to enact, which wasn't necessarily a major problem. And one of the things that, that we um, say here is the fact that we hadn't provided support didn't mean to say that people weren't supportive. But nevertheless, things sort of escalated and we tried to resolve some of the problems. And in the end, that didn't really work out. And, and the, the sort of very typical local government solution to this is that the report ended up sitting there gathering dust and nothing ever really happened with it. And, you know, as a taxpayer, um, we might be frustrated at the um, at the enormous waste of money. Um, it wasn't the most expensive project in the world, I have to say. Um, but we felt we needed to do something with this because um, aside from anything else, we felt sort of professionally insulted by this treatment. You might read this and you might think, uh, and the, the next section is entitled Naivety and Inexperience. You might say, you know, these people were just a bit naive. And actually, we would agree. I think um, that was something that we certainly take on and and one of the things that we thought about was how difficult it is to move from one type of work to another uh, without taking the time to really understand the context and that's a very important piece of learning that's really stood with me that this was our first work with a group of this sort and, and with lots of different stakeholders and extremely challenging uh, and we hadn't really understood those challenges well enough. Um, and that was certainly one of the things that we drew out from this. We also, there were some specific things that we thought about. So uh, how we chose and how we communicated the methods that we had taken, how we worked with that negotiation around what the project was looking at, what we were going to be paying attention to and so on. And and also how this work sat alongside other things that were being done in these various organisations that were represented round the table. The other big area for us was around communication and working with the smaller group that were acting as a steering group for us, a sort of management committee, if you like, how we worked with them and how we um, communicated with them around how we were going to do the work. So again, the focus of our attention was not, did we do this study well enough, but much more about questions like, in choosing to do the work in this way, how might we, um, how might we better communicate some of the limitations? For example, because we were doing qualitative research, we were doing interviews with senior members of the business community, we were restricted in terms of the number um, that we could do. We ended up doing about 30 interviews. One of the criticisms that we had was that we hadn't spoken to enough people. And that's a criticism that comes from a, a partially informed place. So that comes from someone who knows that if you do a survey and you speak to 30 people, you haven't really spoken to enough people. 
But it also comes from someone who hasn't understood that choice of method very well and what the value of interviews really is. And that was our fault. It's not their fault that they don't understand why we've chosen that method. It's our fault because we didn't communicate that well enough and we didn't have that conversation early enough. So when we were choosing that method, what we our reflection was we should have had a conversation much earlier about the limitations of that choice and what that choice meant and so that we could have a discussion about whether that was suitable or not whether we might need to choose a different way of gathering data that hadn't doesn't doesn't have the same limitations so that's on us it's not that we did the interviews wrong but it's that we did the communication wrong So what we were learning was about the process of working in this context with in a local government setting with this wide group, with a steering group as researchers that have been brought in to be independent. And we had placed far too much importance on that I word. So in regarding ourselves as independent, we had we gone off and been too independent and not manage that relationship well enough and as you read the chapter what you'll see is um, this isn't all new Uh, we don't really make a claim that any of it's new our experience is unique as as all experiences are but what we have done is to use our account of the process and our experiences and our reflections as a way to illustrate some of the points that are made in the literature and vice versa, use the literature to make sense of these complex feelings and emotions that that we had experienced after that study and in, frankly, in the years afterwards. It's really interesting to to hear you talk about About the the project, about the project. You weren't, we're not talking here about the actual um, piece of work that you did for the steering group or the the council. We're actually talking about the learning you're taking out of that and that in itself being a distinct and standalone piece of research, which is quite a convoluted and complicated way of, of looking at research, but is at the same time a really important piece of research, a really important piece of work to be doing. Yeah, and and I think academically, is actually of much more interest. You know, the study that we mm. did um, with with the businesses was fine and was well constu- well well conducted, well constructed project, but not groundbreaking by any stretch of the imagination. Very little in there was was sort of genuinely novel or unique. Um, it was important in its own right, and I, I still would claim that it's a better study than than it uh, than the welcome it got. But actually, this piece of work, I think, is probably more interesting academically, um, partly because we don't tend to talk about failures and problems that we have, but actually because this is applicable in lots of other contexts. And and I know that both Miriam and I took a great deal from having done this project and having spent this time thinking about it. This is actually the second publication that um, we had based on our Um, reflections and and, you know we changed our practice on the back of this and and that's really important that you know one of the reasons that we do research is to improve the way in which um, we operate so whether it's to improve our processes improve the products that we have to identify new products or services we might offer to improve the experience of our customers or our service users or whatever 
And what we're trying to do is to improve practice. And that really is we certainly have done that for ourselves. And I and I think for other people that engage with this research, we were much more careful, for example, about how we agreed the scope of projects, you know, um, that is what the question is that we will be looking at, where the limitations of that were, so what we would and would not be considering, the communication that we had, the um, decisions around how data would be collected and, and acknowledging that one of the areas of expertise we brought was in choosing the, the, the methods of data collection. So one of the responsibilities that we have to our client is in to help them understand that decision so that they can be informed. I think it, it's a bit like, um, you know, going to the doctor and the doctor recommends a course of action. You know, they have a responsibility to tell you why they're recommending that, because if they don't, you can't really agree to it. And it's a similar sort of thing. It's not quite so life and death, but it's very much the same kind of thinking. You know, we've been brought in because our expertise is in resolving these sorts of questions but actually we have a responsibility to explain the process and explain our thinking much more carefully than we had understood well that's fantastic thank you very much thank you